We turn our attention to God's Word, Romans 13, 8 through 10. We're in this section of Scripture that speaks to us of how we should respond to God's grace in our lives. Of course, Paul has been describing the good news of what Christ has done uh, and the need for it in Romans 1 through 11. At chapter 12, there's a change where he's now telling us, in light of all that God has done, how should we live? How should we respond to what he has done? And, of course, we've been diving into that over the past several weeks And today we want to talk a little bit more about love. For it says in Romans 13, 8 through 10, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. May God bless the reading and hearing of his inspired holy word. What is love? If you look the word up in the dictionary, you will get a definition like these. One, a profoundly tender passionate affection for another person. Two, a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent, child, or friend. These are some of the definitions I found on the internet, uh, and there were many different dictionaries there, and they all said basically the same thing. Uh, At the forefront of all those definitions that I read is feelings and affection. Love, according to the dictionary, resides in the emotions. A musician I sometimes enjoy is singer-songwriter William Fitzsimmons. About ten years ago, he recorded his first full album, and uh, it, it was all pertaining to his divorce from his wife. He had been unfaithful to her. And he wrote a beautiful album that is uh, very sad and, and uh, seeking forgiveness and, and restoration uh, of their relationship, though not with one another. But the most popular song on that album is entitled, I Don't Feel It Anymore. If love resides in the emotions primarily, what happens when I don't feel it anymore? When I don't feel affectionate when I don't have those tender feelings towards the other person anymore. Well, the current appalling divorce rate answers that question. People are quick to pull the plug when the feelings disappear. Well, in Romans chapter 12, Paul has been telling us to to love one another genuinely, to love even our enemies to overcome the evil by doing good. And that extends to the state as we looked at last week according to the first part of chapter 13. If love resides in the emotions or the feelings primarily, how can we love our enemies? I don't feel any affection for people who persecute me. It's impossible to do. 
We certainly feel no affection for our enemies. If someone persecutes you, it's impossible to feel affection for them. And if love is a feeling primarily, then the two greatest commandments according to the Bible are impossible. The two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's impossible for us to feel affection and warmth towards God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, uh, 365 days a year. And it's impossible for us to feel affection towards our neighbor as we do ourselves. Because sometimes we don't even like ourselves. And sometimes we love ourselves so much there's no room in our hearts for anyone else. I think it's clear from the Bible that love is something more than an emotion or feelings that we have. According to the Bible, love is not primarily a feeling or affection. Love does not reside primarily in the emotions. And these verses before us this morning prove to us that love resides primarily in the will in the will. Love is primarily something we do, not primarily something we feel. Love is a verb, as the saying goes. Now this doesn't mean that there are not emotions connected with love. Certainly there are loved ones for whom we have deep affection and we have those wonderful feelings. But love is much deeper than just feelings, than mere feelings. Love is what we do. Love is how we treat others. Love is an unfailing commitment to another person's good. Take, for example, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I'm interested in the word so in that verse. For God so loved the world. Now that word so here is not saying uh, or indicating God's feelings. It is if to say God had so much affection for the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's not the way this verse should read. Rather the word indicates God's action. Change the word so to in this manner and you get a better idea of what this verse is actually saying. For God, in this manner, loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How did God love the world? How did he express an unfailing commitment to the world's good? He gave his only begotten Son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the same idea is communicated in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
God loved us in a tangible way. He sent Christ into the world while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, so that Christ might die for us. Now the call we have to love here in Romans 12 and 13 is born out of the love God has shown to us that Paul has described in Romans 1 through 11. John reiterates the same thing in 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, beloved, if God so loved us, if God in this manner loved us, we also ought to love one another. So see, the love that we are called to have for others, for God, is born out of the love that he has for us that he has shown to us in sending Christ to die for our sins. Love is a commitment to act for another person's good. And that's what God was doing. He was committed to his people so much that he sent Christ to die in our place. It involves self-sacrifice. If we want to love others, we have to self-sacrifice. Put the other person first, even our enemies. It's very difficult to do. Whitney Houston was way off. That famous song she sang, The Greatest Love of All. And what did she say it was? Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. That's so bogus. Not even close. What does the Bible say the greatest love is? The greatest love is for someone to lay down his life for others. That's the greatest love. It's not loving yourself. Now loving others, even your enemies is impossible to do unless you have embraced God's love for you. Unless you know that love personally. Ephesians, Paul tells the Ephesians, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. See, how can we imitate God? By loving, because he loved first. He loved he sacrificed himself for us, and we are to do the same for him and for others. Well, let's dive into this passage and, and see what it tells us about love. Three things that I want to point out. Love is a perpetual debt. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And love does no wrong to a neighbor. Well, first of all, love is a perpetual debt. Verse 8 says, To owe no one anything except to love each other. If we back up to verse 7, it puts it into context. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. So what he's saying here is we must meet all of our obligations, financial obligations and otherwise. As John Stott, I like the way he puts it, he says, we are to be punctilious in paying our bills and meeting our tax demands. I like that word punctilious. I would never choose that word, so I have to 
to quote John Stott because you knew it wouldn't be me. We are to be punctilious in paying our bills and meeting our tax demands. Now, I don't think this is, means we can never uh, get a loan and have a debt, but it does mean that we should make the agreed-upon payments on time and that we should not stop paying until we have uh, eliminated the debt, until we've paid it all off. Don't leave your debts outstanding, he says, except for one, that is the debt of love. And that obligation to love, the debt we have to love, will always be outstanding. You can't ever get to the point where you've, you've done it, you've completed it, where you have fully paid the debt of love. You can never love someone and then say, well, I've loved enough and now I'm going to stop loving. Uh, it's enough already. For your entire life, you must love God and you must love others even your enemies. It's a never-ending obligation of the Christian. We're going to sing at the end. They will know we are Christians by our love. If we took this verse serious as Christians and really lived this out, it would make a difference in our world. And that's the greatest two commandments, just to love. Love God, love others. And bless those who persecute you, even... He says it there in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you, even those who come against us. We are to wish them well. We are to return their evil with good. The only way to do that is to remember how God loved you while you were an enemy. That's the only thing that can turn a heart uh, to love an enemy, is to remember that we used to be in that position. So love is a perpetual debt, one that we will always be obliged to pay all of our lives to everyone and to God. Secondly, love is the fulfillment of the law. He says it twice in this passage. How do you know how to love someone? It's, it's well and good to say we, we, uh, we need to love everybody. I don't think anybody in the world would disagree with that, that we should uh, you know, at least love some portion of the population out there. You know, love is a pretty universal, universal uh, principle out there. How do you know how to do it? How do you know how to love someone? What is the loving thing to do? Well, it says here that we should follow God's law. That's how we know how to love someone. Well, people today talk a lot about love. And they, they want to follow love as a principle, but they, they think that once you have love as the principle from which you operate, you don't need any kind of guidance as to how to do that. Do whatever you feel. Love to many today is to be allowed to do whatever I feel is right. No matter if it harms you or others. Oprah said something in her speech the other night. You know, you need to be able to express your truth. Everybody needs to be able to speak your truth. What if your truth... What if what you believe and think is harmful to others? See, that's the problem with that. That's when people don't believe in absolute truth. And every tr and truth is different from, from one person to another. That's very dangerous to do. Love is the same way. How do you know what to, to do to love? See, people today believe that love 
ends the law. You don't need law if you've got love, if you just operate on that principle. Love has its own moral compass apart from any objective law. And they think to have love means that you don't, love is no longer needed. You don't need it anymore. Paul doesn't say this. Paul doesn't say that love is the end of the law, but rather love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is defined by God's law. John Stott says, love and law need each other. Love needs law for its direction. Law needs love for its inspiration. I like that. People today don't see it this way. Sometimes when you think about a situation or you encounter uh, someone uh, that you want to love and that may be going through uh, some conflict, how can I help them, what can I do for them, Uh, we might know the truth will hurt them, so we lie to them. You know, we want to spare their feelings So we think the loving thing to do is to not tell them the truth. That's not, the, that's not what the Bible says. Paul is warning us not to think that we are wiser than God in determining what will hurt or help someone. And we often think we know what's best, or we think we do, or what we feel is best. When we think, Tim Keller says, uh, about when we talk about the loving thing, the loving thing to do... We often mean the comfortable thing. What's comfortable for us to do? What will give that person the least disturbance or distress? Well, the point of of law is to do no harm, but only God knows what we need ultimately. He's the one that created us. He knows what's in our best interests. He knows what we ultimately need. He built our souls, our hearts, and he knows what we need. And the law is God's way of saying, you want to do your neighbor no harm? Here's what you do. Follow these guidelines. Follow my law. Not your instincts, not your wisdom. Follow my wisdom, my direction. How do you love someone? Look at God's law for guidance. How do you love God? Again, look to God's law, God's word, and it will lead us specifically how we can love him and others. This leads us to the third point. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, and they tell us how we can love God. The second six commandments, the Ten Commandments, tell us how we can love others. Now the last, certainly the last five sins forbidden in the Ten Commandments, harm people. Murder takes away their life. Adultery takes away their home and their honor. Theft takes away their property. And false witness, lying, takes away their good name. Covetousness robs society of the ideals of simplicity and contentment. All these do harm to our neighbors. And if we do those things, we're not loving. If we commit those sins against others, we're not loving. Right. If you love someone, you're not going to murder them, 
right? If you love someone, you're not going to steal their spouse. If you love someone, you're not going to steal from them. If you love someone, you won't do these things to them. But there's more to it than that. We're, we're not simply saying, I've not murdered anyone, so I've loved them. I haven't murdered anybody. Hopefully you haven't either. You know, most of us have not murdered, we haven't murdered anybody in the world, ever. Does that mean we've loved everybody in the world? No. Just because we haven't committed the sin doesn't mean we actually loved I commend to you the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith because it brings out this truth that each of the Ten Commandments not only has uh, a sin forbidden, such as murder, but implied in that is duties that we are required to do. Not only, for the example of the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, not only should we uh, avoid ending someone's life, we also have the duty to always promote life, to do what's in their best interests. I'll just read it to you. Of course, this was written in the 1500s, so it's a little hard to follow, but just to give you a little taste. What are the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? This is question 136 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. The sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense, the neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life, sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. Not just ending their life, but not promoting their life. So those are things that are forbidden. Hear what it says about the duties that are required. The duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any, by just defense thereof against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, physic, sleep, labor, and recreations, by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil, comforting and succoring the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. It's a long list and a little hard to follow there, but there's positive duties in the law as well as negative commands forbidden see love is more than simply not hurting someone love is promoting their good it's a commitment to doing their good in every circumstance that's what the law is the law does, doesn't just not harm someone to, lo to love someone to fulfill that law is to actually be committed to their good even our enemies 
Well, the question is, who is sufficient for such things? <laughs> who can truly love others self-sacrificially? Because that's what's called for here. Like Christ self-sacrificed himself for us. And how can we love others? How can we do it better? Especially those whom we find difficult to love. I've only got one advice for you, and that is to consider the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember Christ and what he did. Remember those verses that we said at the beginning. For God loved the world in this manner. He gave his only begotten son. While we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us, ungodly people. And as we think about the Father's great love, and as we experience that love ourselves, may that overflow into our lives. May it overflow into the lives of others, even those who persecute us, and may it overflow back to God to, to love the one who first loved us. May the Lord cause our love for one another and for him to abound. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great love with which you have loved us. Now, Lord, help us to know, give us wisdom to know how to love others. Help us to know your law, to know how to promote the good. And Lord, fix in us uh, a commitment, not just waiting on feelings to do this, but a commitment to love those who, uh, whom we know and we encounter on a daily basis, and most of all, to love you. Lord, may we be devoted to these things, and may we, out of the love that we experience, May we love you and others. Lord, I pray that if anyone is here today that has never experienced your love firsthand, that they would turn to you and cry out to you for mercy and for that love. And may you save them and transform them. May you transform all of us, Lord. And Father, as we leave this place, may we be people who love Immediately as we go to our fellowship meal, may we grow in a deeper love for one another. And may you bless that fellowship we have together and the meal that we will share. We thank you for all your goodness to us. And may we extend that to others. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.